7.02 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Adnan Burke from MLB Network is going to join us in just a moment here. He will join us after Jason tells you, the listener, about Kintec. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. That was coffee-fied. Yeah, we got coffee back. You rebooted the system? Yeah. Nice. I What I did was I uh, unplugged it, and then I plugged it back in. That's the first thing. It works almost every time. Yeah. yeah. I sold phones for five years, and that's primarily what I did. I was going to say two-thirds <laughs> of all cable company <laughs> yeah. advice. Have you tried exactly turning it off and that. on again? Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, the phone lines we go. Adnan Berg from MLB Network joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Adnan. How are you? Mike, Jason, I'm doing great, fellas. The, the time-honored trick of turn it off and wait 10 seconds to turn it on again. I have no idea why, but that will work more often than not when it comes to technology. We're trying to get out of very dated references here on the Halford and Bruff Show, but I will say the Fonz just banging the side of something yeah. and making it work, that's another good one as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, we're, we're losing... Like <laughs> listeners that are going to understand what we're talking about, they're like, "What's a Fonz?" But anyway, no, no. But, but then, but then you'll gain traction with those who do get the reference. That's always my thought process. The great Neil Everett, sports and anchor for years, when I worked with him, I said, "You know, you once had a reference in a show. You said he'll take him across the street to Mitch and Murray." He said, "Yeah." I said, "Glengarry Glenn Ross is one of my favorite movies ever." I could, couldn't believe you said that. He goes, "It's so funny you said that." He goes, "But that night, the producer goes, what is that?'" And I said, "It's a reference movie called Glengarry Glenn Ross." Goes, What's that? They go. It's an incredible play when the Pulitzer, David Mamet, Pacino was in the movie, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin. They go, well, no one's going to get it. And he goes, you know what? I get it. And that's what matters here. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you I get it. I, you know what? I used the Glengarry Glenn Ross reference the other day. Someone was talking about finishing it second. I was like, yeah. second prize is a set of steak knives. And they're like, really? I'm like, God. <laughs> All right. This isn't working. My references are too old. You're fired. Yeah, that was I, I was waiting for the kicker, and he just was like, where are my steak knives? Anyway, let's talk about <laughs> baseball, shall we? The Toronto Blue Jays. Not a great August for the Blue Jays. Yes, they finished one yeah. game above 500, 14 and 13, but a pretty average record that leaves them three and a half back of the wild card. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. How crucial is this upcoming stretch where they play the bad teams? Oh, good question. They get the bad teams. Well, no, because it's a lead into a better question. Oh, okay. When's that coming? Uh, Right next. Uh, The Rockies are last in the NL West. The A's are last in the AL West. The Royals are last in the AL Central. So, look, honestly, they've got nine games coming up. Realistically, how many of these do the Jays have to win? I think you got to go seven and two. Like if you look at this stretch and you go five and four, you go that's ball game. Because when I saw two and a half games the other day, I go, you know, if you have a three and four week, and the other teams go five and two, let's do the math. Now you're four and a half games back with under thirty games to go. That feels almost insurmountable. And there's one thing we know what this Blue Jays team is: they don't play well within the division. And after this nine game stretch, nineteen straight games against teams with winning records, including some AL East rivals. So that doesn't feel great. So let's go ahead and go seven and two, try to cut that deficit from three and a half to one and a half, and then all of a sudden go into our big stretch under 20 games left and hope for the best. But we do a game at MLB Network called Concern, Panic, Doom when it comes to any team. And right now I'm panicking if I'm a Blue Jays fan. Like we, we have gone from concern to panic because three and a half, and, and you start to do the math on this. You go, okay, Baltimore's going to win the division. If not the Rays, they're both getting in. Obviously the Twins are in. So you're looking at Mariners, Rangers, Astros. You have to hope the Rangers continue to implode. 
You have to hope this team, which was great for five months, four and a half months of the year, now went on that seven-game losing streak, now been caught by a red-hot Mariners team, that those Texas Rangers will implode and you can catch them. Because Seattle, conversely, has this explosive August. Will they cool off a little bit? One would think. But I think they're legit. Like, their pitching staff is outstanding. So I don't think they're going away. And the Astros are the defending champions. So if you do the math, you go, well, who exactly are the Jays catching? And the Red Sox just got beaten up by the Astros. So we can eliminate Boston, I feel like. So it really has to be Texas. You have to catch. You have to hope that their pitching woes have caught up to them and what's now been surprisingly an inconsistent offense. But the problem then becomes, this is a Blue Jays team without their catalyst, without their best player in Bo Bichette. Like, once I see Bo Bichette not till mid-September, Matt Chapman not till mid-September, and I go, so I'm basically relying on Vladdy, who's good but not great, and an underwhelming George Springer, Alejandro Kirk, Dalton Varsha. Like, those guys have to step up for my offense. I'm panicking if I'm a Blue Jays fan. Like, I, I, it's, I think it's like a 20% chance right now they make the playoffs. That's how bleak it is. Even if you say three and a half, oh, you go to a four-game winning streak. I'm like, no, no. If you look at the numbers, this is going to be a challenge. So this nine-game winning streak, Mike, you're absolutely right to point out how critical it is. Seven and two. Ten right now. They go five and four. Season's over. Forget it. Let's set the stakes here. Um, what happens if they don't make the playoffs? So the natural recourse, Jason, is you look at the manager first, right? You go, okay, well, John Schneider, we've assembled all this talent. Did he not get the best out of this talent? He's a young manager. And I don't think you think that. I think you go, no, the offense was inconsistent. Like, what's shocking is that they have the second-best ERA in baseball, and yet they're not a playoff team. Again, if we look back at the start of the year and go, their starters are going to be awesome. They're going to bring it. Their bullpen is going to be really good. They focus this offseason on run prevention, getting Kiermaier, getting Varsho, moving Springer to right, and beefing up the bullpen, acquiring Swanson for Teoscar. So this ultimately has to fall on Ross Atkins because the roster construction was such that they felt like this is a team that can contend with a lot of people who are picking to win the division, perhaps go to the World Series. And you're telling me you might not even make the playoffs and six teams make the playoffs? Um, that, that's unforgivable. And I don't think it's in the manager. Like, it's, it's not one of those teams that you go, uh, some veterans just need a wake-up call. The young guys took advantage. No, I, I think John Schneider has done what he can. To me, it's a roster construction situation. So what happens is you start to explore trades for Vlad Jr. And as crazy as that sounds, Pete Alonso is probably going to get traded this offseason, which you're like, wait, what? Like, I thought he was Mr. Met. He's going to be a lifetime Met. Like, no, lifetime deals just don't happen in this sport anymore. Like, Otani is going to leave the Angels. There's still whispers that Trout should leave the Angels. Like, you just, you don't stay on one team. And if you're the Blue Jays, you start to look around and go, okay, Bo's our guy, right? He's our offensive MVP. He's the catalyst. He's the engine. Well, who else can we trade to make some moves here? Let's bring your contract. Looks terrible. Six years for 150? Like, what? And he's a corner outfielder now, and he had like a 700 OPS. That's untradeable. Varsha, you just got, and he's great defensive, but underwhelming offensively to the least. Chapman's going to be gone. He's a free agent. So what chips do I have here? So Vlad Jr. is the one. And you say, okay, let's at least explore this market. So I, I never want to count anyone's job on the line. I don't want to say Atkins' job is on the line. Maybe. Maybe that happens. Because I think it's, it's incredibly disappointing. Like, underline, italicize, capitalize. Yeah. The Jays don't make the playoffs. That's incredibly disappointing and deflating. Because the Orioles have arrived, and they're going to get better next year with Jackson Holiday. Matt Holiday's kid is the number one prospect in all of baseball. The Rays will get those pitchers back. They're going to be back. The Yankees, inevitably, may take a step back next year, but they'll be a little bit better. And the Red Sox, by virtue of Alex Cora Magic and their offense, will always be in the mix. So you couldn't even make the playoffs with an extra team? Maybe that cost Atkins his job, maybe Schneider, and maybe you trade Vlad Jr. There's going to be a lot in play for this Toronto team. How big a risk would trading Vladdy be, and what could they theoretically get in return? Well, I, I think 
you know, Ben Ennis, our buddy on Toronto Sports Radio, was saying to me, what if you just go Alonzo Vladdy, like straight up? I'll give, you, I'll give you my relative headache for your relative headache. And I said, well, with Alonzo, I know this being here in the North Jersey area, with Alonzo province, he wants to be paid like Aaron Judge. He's like, hey, Judge is the top player in the Yankees. I'm the top player in the Mets. Like, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm you know, with the media. I hit 40 home runs and 100 RBI. Alonzo's closing in his third straight such season. But he also has 219. Like, bro, like, if you hit 60 home runs at Aaron Judge, then we can have that conversation. If you hit 290 or 300, like, no, you're hitting 219. So the Mets are like, no, no, you're not a 9 to 360. You're more like a Freddie Freeman. And by the way, Freddie Freeman could be with the MVP this year. I think it's Acuna, then Betts, but Freeman's top three. And if you remember, Freddie left the Braves on a contract, which now looks incredibly favorable. I think it's like 6 for 150, somewhere in that range, 6 for 170, 180. So Alonzo, let's say he gets, he wants, there, the Mets are saying 6 for 180. He watched 340. That's a hell of a gulf of $160 million. So imagine if you go Alonzo for Vladdy, because Vladdy's not going to be as expensive, I would think, as Pete, although I'm sure he wants a three at the start of his massive contract. You bring Alonzo over for Vladdy, and you go, all right, we're going to pay him a little bit more probably, but he's got more power. He drives in more runs, won't hit for highs to high on average, isn't great defensively, nor is Vladdy. Like, essentially, Pete Alonzo is the first uh, the DH who's at first base, which is fine, mm-hmm. but he would definitely inject your offense. So that's probably wishful thinking, but I'd love to see a Vladi. You never see those trades, by the way. You know, big star for other guys, big star. But a Vladi for Alonzo would be perfect sense for me. Yeah, I just wonder if the Jays would have to take a step back or if they would do that strategically. And then you'd look at this past few years and be like, what did it all add up to? Nothing? Yeah, that's why it's so frustrating, Jason, because I, I can't see the step back. I just feel like they've gone too far down the road. and And you feel like, if you take a step back, then, then the other contracts really become noteworthy, meaning Springer's two years into a six-year deal. So if you say, we'll take a step back for a couple of years and try to contend in, let's say, 26, so then Springer's a complete loss. Like, you're just going to accept the fact that it was a bad contract, and that's it, you're eating it. And Bichette, by the way, has got three more years of arbitration that he's going to hit the open market. Like, you're still going to keep pushing. You just have to try to, to, to supplement and add, and it has to be that offense. I'm telling you, Chapman, it's not a very strong free agent class. He's tremendous defensively, and he's a good hitter. He's going to get $150 million, 180 maybe, 10 years, 9 years, I don't know, something like that. The Jays aren't going to match that. So Chapman's gone, and you're going to have to try to supplement that offense and try to make some other moves here and get creative. And uh, I don't think you can take a step back. I just think they've, they've gone too far down the road, and their young players are, are at the point now where you have to try to push. But your overall point is noteworthy, which is this was the time, and you've squandered that time. Like, Again, it's almost unfathomable to not make the playoffs this year. It really is. We're speaking to Adnan Verk from MLB Network here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Adnan, you mentioned the number of teams that Toronto's chasing to try and get up into playoff contention. Obviously, some of those are the best teams in the American League. If you had to answer right now, August 31st of 2023, who is the best team in the American League right now? It's the Seattle Mariners right now, which is surprising because if the All-Star break, they're like a 500 team, Mike. But what happened is their pitching all along has been consistently excellent. Luis Castillo is an ace. I love George Kirby. He's got an astronomical strikeout-to-walk ratio. I just love guys that don't walk. He's a 9-to-1 strikeout-to-walk. Logan Gilbert is fabulous. Miller, the young kid, really good. So you got a quartet of starters, great. Both, but it's tricky with Jerry DePoto today. He trades his closer and Paul Seawalt to the D-backs. And you go, hmm, not sure if that's going to work, but – Essentially, their, their, ninth, their seventh and eighth inning guys got pushed up a little bit, and they've been good. Now, what happened is the inconsistent offense figured itself out, and they were striking out way too much. Like, it was of the top ten strikeout leaders in the first half, three of them were Mariners. 
So they finally cut down their case, made contact, and a lot of that is my man, Julio Rodriguez, who's as charismatic and dynamic a star in the sport, and he's just had an incredible second half. Like that, that stretch where he had four straight, four or more hit games, like that just doesn't happen. He's raised his average like 30 points, and he's one of those guys that can literally put the team on his back and say, all right, boys, here we go. And not just him, Cal Raleigh is leading among home runs for catchers. Oscar Hernandez, who's been really quiet much of the year, has awoken the last couple of weeks, has been terrific. J.P. Crawford's a really underrated player. So they've got, they've got their offense that finally stepped it up, and, and they've really coalesced. Now, again, there is that thought process that when you're this sizzling, you must inevitably take a little bit of a step back. But I, I think that, you know, when you, if you look at the balance of are they going to be the team that was the best team in baseball in August versus underwhelming first three months, even if you have that, it still pushes towards the team they should be, which is well above average. Because last year, they were a playoff team. And I credit Jerry DePoto for saying, all right, I can't just blow this thing up. I'm not going to add recklessly, because maybe, maybe this just isn't our year. But we have enough young talent that we should be better, and inevitably, they figured it out. So I think it's Seattle by a hair over Baltimore. I love Baltimore's young position players. Gunnar Henderson's going to win Rookie of the Year. I love Rutschman. You know, Hayes is an all-star. Cedric Mullins. Santander's got almost 30 home runs. But they're starting pitching to me. I still wish they'd gone out and got a bigger name. But apologies to Jack Flaherty. If they had gotten a Verlin or what is it, okay, Baltimore's the team to beat the AL. But right now, I do think it is Seattle. And I'll hedge ever so subtly by saying the Astros are still the defending champions. And they have the third easiest remaining schedule in the American League down the stretch. So when it's all said and done, I wouldn't be shocked if we see Houston in the World Series. But as you said, Mike, August 31st, best team, I'll say Seattle. Okay, the reason that I asked is because I was reading an ESPN piece yesterday which surveyed a bunch of MLB executives. One of them said that the Atlanta Braves are, quote, the best team in baseball, and it's not even close. Do you agree with that assessment? No, I disagree with that. I, I think the Braves, I was looking the other day, and I'm like, they're a lot of mashes, and they have a ton of depth and a lot of length, to use a baseball term, and that every single player can contribute. But I can tell that, I mean, this series is going to be awesome. Braves-Dodgers starting tonight. We've got the game 10 o'clock Eastern, MLB Network. I mean, I, I think that's going to be fascinating because – the Dodgers, kind of like the Mariners, woke up in, in August and ripped off that 11-game winning streak. And now Mookie Betts and Freeman are pushing Acuna for that MVP. Like, watch out. Mookie's been on fire. Now, I think if you go player by player, Atlanta is better. And the Dodgers pitching staff isn't as strong as it's been in years past. It's Kershaw. It's Arias in a down year. It's their young rookies like Miller. You know, Gonsolin's out with Tommy John. But, like, they're still top-heavy. To me, like, Mookie and Freddie, and then you throw in your James Altmans and your Max Muncies, who's got 30-plus home runs and has a high LBP. Like, they can still make some noise. So I wouldn't be shocked if in an NLCS Dodgers-Braves, that Dodgers offense gets, you know, early and often against Spencer Strider or Max Freed, and Atlanta's not able to recover. So I, I would disagree that they're far and away better. I think Atlanta's the favorite, but I, have a, I think the Dodgers are right there at number two, and I got the Phillies right there at number three. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Philly does this year what they did last year. Like, they're, they play great at home, and they hit a ton of home runs. I would not want to mess with that offense. And their pitching staff is pretty good when they're rolling with Wheeler and Nola and, and obviously um, Sanchez. I mean, they're, it's better than Los Angeles in some ways. They're starters. So, no, I disagree with that team. I think Atlanta's the best team. But as you and I both know, it rarely happens that the best team ends up winning the World Series. There's always a wrinkle or two added. So, I wouldn't be shocked if the Dodgers or the Phillies pull off an upset. Uh, before we let you go, I got to ask you about what's happening in Anaheim with the Angels right now because this is a crazy development. For those that don't know, uh, the Coles Notes version is they just gave away six players this week. They just waved them. They're like, just leave. 
You don't have to do anything other than go on waivers. Four of the guys that they put on waivers were guys that they picked up at the trade deadline to try and make a push. And, you know, I've read enough to suggest that all of these six guys are likely to be picked up, and this could really affect the pennant chase for whoever gets to grab these players. Also, it's a very clear and very blatant salary dump by Artie Moreno. Big picture, is this whole situation bad for baseball? Yeah, I mean, it's not great. Uh, when, you, when I saw that story, and I think I was on the air, and they told me in my ear, okay, uh, hey, six guys just got put on waivers. I'm like, wait, what? And, and if you look at the numbers, those six guys total, I can't remember the wild top of my head, but Chialito, Lopez. Uh, Moore, Grichuk, Renfro, and Grichuk. Right, exactly. So there you go. So if you add up all six, it adds it to a savings of $7 million, prorated for that one month. So again, the way the waivers work, you guys know, but people who don't know, you pick whoever you want, and the team with the worst record gets dips. So they get the first choice. So the Marlins right now are starved for bullpen help. They want to select Matt Moore, and nobody else is worse than them. They got him. You just got to pay his salary for a month. And you say to yourself, well, from a business decision, I guess it kind of makes sense. The Angels aren't going anywhere anyway. So, yeah, here's a bunch of players at a discount rate. But it's even more than that because if they get those six players gone for $7 million, that would get the Angels under the luxury tax threshold of $233 million, which means Otani – when he now it feels that inevitably goes elsewhere, it will be a higher pick. Um, the, the, the draft pick compensation, I believe, if you're in the luxury tax, is a fourth rounder. And if not, I think it's either first or second. I can't remember offhand. So, again, if you look at it from an Artie Reno perspective, I'm like, yeah, that, like, dude, I went for it. And I'm glad we did. But then it, it blew up in our faces. We've been five and seven teams. It's August 1st. So now I want to get under that luxury tax and improve my team moving forward with regards to autonomy. But we had Anthony Recker on the other day, former catcher, and he was saying to me, the way it's frustrating is that you're basically treating players like commodities and just say, okay, here's a fire sale. Go ahead and have at it. And it just, it just doesn't feel great. Like as a player, you're like, oh, so I, I was here to win. It didn't work out. And that's it. I'm just discarded like that. And I'm like, well, you know, you're still getting paid. You're going to go to another team. He's like, yeah, but I just, it almost feels like an ugly precedent. Now, players have been put on waivers for years. They just didn't do it publicly. Like, Bill Ripken was telling me, he's like, I'm sure my brother, Cal Ripken Jr., was put on waivers. I go, that's impossible. I, I think at some point it has happened. But in the past, it wasn't made public. Teams would kind of do it very surreptitiously. And if someone made a claim, they might pull them back or can we work on a trade, whatever, and go from there. Now the fact that the public makes it feel a little bit more unseemly. But I think the practice has been going on for a while. And, I, again, I think Artie's trying to make a business decision, which I respect. But I, I could totally see your viewpoint and the players kind of going, hey, this just doesn't – I feel a little squeamish about this. Adnan, this was great. As always, thanks for doing it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week. Mike, Jason, a pleasure, boys. Talk soon. Uh, thanks, bud. That's Adnan Verk from MLB Network here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we're going to have some more hockey talk with Greg Wyshynski coming up. We'll get his take on the Bill Peters situation and also go around the league. And we'll talk to him about the captaincy issue, uh, whether or not he feels it's a big deal, what kind of captain um, is effective in the NHL because it's a question facing the Vancouver Canucks, and it's a question, one of the many questions that Rick Tockett answered in a Q&A with Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. Um, we've go, gone over a lot of this interview with Tockett on the show both yesterday and today. Um, let's do a little more because uh, IMAC asked Tockett about some of the changes to the roster, and he mentioned the additions of Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, Teddy Bluger, and Pew Suter. And he was asked simply, is this a stronger roster? And Tockett said, yeah, I think we filled some needs. And I think what he says next says a lot about probably what he thought about the roster before. 
He said, we got some grittier guys that have a good pedigree on the penalty kill. That's something, obviously, that's been an eyesore for the organization mm-hmm. for a long time, getting Cole and Susie Bluger and Suter. These guys are very good penalty killers. They're grittier guys. They're willing to block shots. They don't let pucks through them. They knock pucks down. That's what good penalty killers do. And he kind of said a similar thing uh, when he was asked about the goaltending situation. And the question was actually, are you comfortable with the backups behind Thatcher Demko? And Tockett said, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm comfortable as long as we, we play well in front of them. If we're giving up grade A chances all the time, he's not even comfortable with a Demko because yeah. Demko is going to get worn out. So I liked his answer, right? Even if he wasn't, you know, even if he was thinking like, oh, it's a bit of a risk going in with Spencer Martin and Arter Silas behind Thatcher Demko. Am I going to have to overplay Thatcher Demko, et cetera, et cetera? His answer was just like, listen, the things that we can control are how we play in front of our own goal. Yeah. I don't like what they did at backup goalie, by the way. If there was one issue, I think it's a huge risk. Yeah, I think you're going to have to make a risk somewhere because of your financial situation. Like somewhere, a position was going to have to be. I don't want to say like not ignored, ignored, but but, like, but you're like, okay, we're going to gamble. We're going to have to scrimp somewhere. But we just, if you want to talk about proof of concept, proof of concept last year was that when they went with an unproven duo in the backup role with Delian Martin. It didn't work. Like, the proof is right there in front of you. So it seems really risky that you're going to run it back with half of that duo, but adding on another guy, Seelofs, who, again, doesn't have a uh, proven track record at the NHL level. I'm looking right at you, Greg. It might have just been a one-year blip. You know, you have a great goalie coach with Ian Clark. Mm -hmm. You did bring in a few guys. Tolopilo out of Europe. Not a ton of experience. Going to spend most of the year in the minors, hopefully. But then you also brought in Zach Sachenko who has NHL experience. I really like him as an yeah. option. Not a big name, not a guy you're hearing thrown around all that often, but there's there are pieces there. There's, it's not just Martin or Bust. So there you're are people hoping, there. You're hoping by volume they might have figured this out. Yeah, I, I think Ian Clark is a good enough goalie coach. He will figure one of those guys into a serviceable backup. If that's the plan, and I, I don't hate it because the reality is they didn't have the money to go out and get a sort of high-end 1B goalie, then okay. But it's risky. It's riskier. It's for risky. But to get to those guys down the depth chart, you probably have to have some poor performances along the way, right? And do the Canucks have the wiggle room to, um, you know, soak up those poor performances and still make the playoffs? Uh, it's an interesting Q&A with Tockett. And frankly, he reiterates a lot of what we've been saying on this show. First of all, um, don't be scared of the pressure. Embrace the pressure. Let's find out what kind of group you are. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is a total cliche, but it's also true. And he's also talking about how like this team just needed some more players that played a, a grittier style, willing to sacrifice, willing to block shots, able to kill penalties, pedigree on the penalty kill. And then it comes down to how this team is going to emerge into the new era, which it still hasn't, right? That's what this year's all about. Like, this team still hasn't graduated into whatever it's going to become. I mean, it's graduated into being a pretty bad hockey team for the last few years. But since the Sedin era, it's been grasping. It's been grasping for this. It's been grasping for that. There is the potential now with Hughes 
and Elias Pettersson to lead that team forward. And maybe you know it as the Hughes and Pettersson era. Part of that is on them to become better leaders, to, to set a higher standard, to set accountability. And this isn't me saying this, this is the organization saying it. But also some of it is on management and the team to provide better support for those guys. And hopefully some of the new additions will help along that way. Better um, coaching. That's from that's the organization's word. And a lot, like a lot of faith is being put in Rick Tockett to turn this team around. They can also use a practice facility. And a practice facility. That's what else they need. The hockey conversation continues. Coming up next, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, your home for Vancouver summer sports talk. Subscribe to the podcast now. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. Joined now by our next guest, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Wish? How are you, bud? Hello, everybody. I am good. I can't complain. Uh, I'm good. Uh, as per usual, I wish the hockey news was all good at this point, but uh, it's not, being that it's hockey. But uh, that's just how it is sometimes. Let's just dive ahead first into it then, okay? Because you had an early indication. I saw this on Twitter yesterday that Bill Peters was going to reenter uh, the hockey coaching fraternity with WHL Lethbridge. When you first heard it, I asked this question, Frank, too, because I wanted everyone's initial reaction. But when you first heard that this was going to happen, what was your reaction? Oh, my reaction is cancel culture is real. Oh, man, if you get canceled, you're never coming back to a job. I um, sense some sarcasm. No, I mean, my, 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 my reaction, of course, was that this is somebody who should never coach people again as a head coach uh, or maybe even as an assistant coach and, because it's not, it's not simply just what happened, okay? It's, it's also the fact that he, he was never sincerely apologetic about it, um, Un, until he needed to be. And, and that's really kind of where I got a sense of where this was all going is when I, I heard that he had reached out to Akeem Aliou through a third party. Um, you know, like, what are we even doing? I mean, if you, if you want to reach out to somebody to apologize, reach out to somebody to apologize. And I, I, the, the moment I heard it was being brokered by another coach, I'm like, this is, this is not sincere. This is clearly somebody doing this for a reason. And then it turns out the reason was that he had another gig lined up and, and obviously was seeking to superficially clear the air with the person that he, uh, he, he wronged uh, at an opportune time for him. So uh, it was, I was bummed about it. This, this isn't somebody that we need to have in hockey, and, uh, and yet here he is in hockey again. Um, why do you think the Lethbridge Hurricanes were willing to take this PR hit? You know, I, did, I didn't see the press conference yesterday. Um, and I, 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 know, I know some of the things that Peter said, but I didn't get a chance to really hear or see the justification from the team. I'm sure it's the usual. I, I saw the statement from the WHL. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's the usual second chances and yada, 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 and people can change and 
this, that, and the other thing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know <laughs> is, is the best way to put it. What, what their thinking was only to say that I know that he's had, he could, you know, he's obviously had ties to the WHL previously and coached, I think at the university of Lethbridge for like one season. So he's got some, some roots there. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where, um, like I said, off the top, like the, every time you think the sport's taking a step forward, it stumbles backward. And, and Bill Peters getting another chance after behaving the way he did, um, not only in the incident, but in the aftermath is, is just kind of deflating once again for the sport. Uh, let's move on to some of the work that you've done recently for ESPN, specifically catching up with Connor Bernard, first overall pick at this year's draft. Uh, he's at the BioSteel camp now. I know you talked to him from said camp, and you talked to him about the Connor McDavid uh, comparisons and what you know, and it's not just because they're both named Connor. I feel like everyone needs a Connor now. Connor's the the name for success moving forward. But what did he have to say about living up to the most obvious Connor to Connor comparable? Because if we for, don't, I, I think some people might have forgotten, maybe they haven't. But Connor McDavid's rookie year was full of stats, and it was pretty impressive what he did in terms of goals, assists, and points. What did Connor Bedard have to say about all that? Well, yeah, and but also like if you're talking about benchmarks that Connor Bedard can maybe reach, like McDavid's rookie seasons, one he can maybe surpass. He just has to stay healthy. <laughs> like, like McDavid was a point per game player his rookie year. If, if you're, I, I forgot that he, I knew that he lost the Calder to Panarin. I forgot he finished third in the voting yeah. for the Calder as a rookie, uh, behind also Shane Gossespierre, which is kind of an amazing little trivia fact. Um, but. He, so I talked to Bedard about McDavid and the idea of like McDavid having set these statistical benchmarks throughout his career and, and, and clearly, you know, having morphed into, a, a, you know, one of the best players that we've seen in maybe since Mario, as far as like statistical output and, and the idea of like, what do you do with that? <laughs> Are you using it as a benchmark? Are you just conceding that this person is superhuman and, uh, and can't be caught and, what Bedard said was interesting, which is that he, he, he kind of said, look, you know, I, I think it's the wrong mindset to just assume that you can't be this guy, you know, just to, to assume that McDavid's McDavid and, and you could never achieve what he achieves. But, I mean, I think what Bedard is trying to do in, in what is, like you said, the in, inevitable Connor versus Connor comparison is sort of say, I'm my own guy. Like, my, my, my modus operandi right now is to try to be Connor Bedard and, and try to, you know, be the best Connor Bedard I can be uh, and not worry about, you know, trying to live up to somebody else's standards or even the standards that, I mean, he called out the media a little bit that he, that the media or, or outsiders are trying to place on him, you know, for his career. Mm-hmm. The Connor versus Connor thing is very interesting to me, though, boys, because, like, I do believe that McDavid has reached the first name ubiquity that Sidney Crosby did. You know, we just call him Sid. We know, we know who we're talking about. We say Sid. Right. Uh, I think when you say Connor, we know who we're talking about. Connor's going to win the heart. I mean, like, we know it's Connor. Now there's another Connor, and he might be pretty good. So I do think as a society, we need to figure out exactly how we're going to address this. Like, That's do we true, just call actually. him Bedard? Is, is it like The Bachelor where he's Connor B? I don't know. We're going to have to figure out something. Uh, I, don't, I don't call McDavid Connor, though. I call Crosby all the time. Uh, I'll say Sid more often than I will say Crosby. Um, never Sidney, just Sid. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm never like Con. For Con. No, no, I, I mean, always like McDavid. Either, but but what, but if you go if you if you go 
to somebody if you're like you're at the the coffee shop in the morning some some fufu vancouver based coffee shop in the morning and and you turn to somebody and you say did you see what connor did last night like they'd be like oh do you mean in succession Connor Roy, <laughs> or or, 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 or do you mean Kyle Connor? Oh, <laughs> They're gonna think you mean McDavid, and so I, I mean, I, I do think he's reached that point of like first name recognition. Um, but now there's gonna be someone else that either forces us to go McDavid and Bedard, or forces Connor Bedard to be, you know, maybe he's CB. I don't know. We're mm-hmm. gonna have to figure it out. I think McDavid gets Connor if we're being if we're gonna go down this road. I think Bedard has to earn the co-ubiquity. I don't even know how it would work because he can't have two Connors. It's too confusing right off the hop. But I think we'll have none. It'll be McDavid and Bedard. I think it's going to be. I think I think, Con- I think McDavid like- gets Connor because he's that good. He owns the yeah, name. Now. I think I think you're right. Is I think it ends up being McDavid and Bedard because I think they're, they're both going to be good. We're both going to have to reference them. Bedard's on a a top line franchise in this league. This is this isn't like Wayne Primo saying, "Hey, there's two Waynes now." Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like a very different situation. <laughs> um, if what is the one attribute that people will associate Bedard with? With McDavid, for me, it's his speed. I've never seen anyone skate like McDavid does. With Gretzky, it was his vision. With Lemieux, I, I, I guess it's like his smoothness. His uh, size and smoothness, you know, like yeah, it wasn't size and agility. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? It'll, do you think it'll be Bedard's shot? Yeah, it's a shot like straight away. I mean, it's it's the it's been his calling card throughout his career in, in, in writing about him leading up to the draft and leading, you know, into the, you know, everybody, you know, dishonor for Connor stuff that we saw last season, all these teams positioning themselves to try to get him. You know, the, the thing I kept on hearing is I, I had scouts tell me that his shot is like otherworldly. <laughs> I mean, like. It's 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 the accuracy. It's the ability to, to for him to get off his shot in a variety of ways. Um, that's the calling card. And 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 so, you know, like I, I think Bedard himself said, look, you know, it's a huge step up in talent from where I've been playing to the National Hockey League. And he's right. And yeah. we'll have to see how if there are adjustments he needs to make vis-a-vis playing better defenders, vis-a-vis playing much better goaltenders. Um, but you know, from all I've been able to glean from the people that have seen him throughout the years and have scouted him and have uh, touted him as being a generational talent, it's that shot that we're all going to be marveling at. Hey, wish we're having the captaincy debate in Vancouver. Uh, it feels like we've had this a few times over the years, uh, but the Canucks don't have a captain. Bo Horvat is no longer with the team, so the choices are down to Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, and J.T. Miller. I would say at one point the polling – had Quinn Hughes as the likely favorite. But Rick Tock had just said, you know, the situation is kind of fluid. He wouldn't really commit to naming a captain or not naming a captain. So we'll have to wait and see on that. I guess my question for you would be, like, how much does it matter? Well, I mean, it, so it's, it's mattered in certain situations, right? I mean, I always go back to one that I think about where when the Columbus Blue Jackets named Rick Nash the captain you know it came at a time when he was pretty young and it came at a time when the team was specifically trying to pass the torch to a younger generation of players Um, when the Capitals didn't name Alex Ovechkin captain after the Penguins had already given the seat to Sidney Crosby there was that moment where Chris Clark was the captain of the Capitals when Ovechkin was a young rookie um, that was them saying, we don't think that you are quite ready as a well-rounded leader 
to, to take the captaincy. It's, mm-hmm. it's not simply just a marketing mechanism for us. It's an important thing, and we don't think you're ready. So the captaincy is important in the sense that it can communicate what a team or what a leadership group thinks of a certain player. It can communicate wh- what, where, where the team thinks they are insofar as their maturation process. From a functional standpoint, I, I mean, I think there is now – a situation in most teams where there's multiple guys that can step up. It's not the Scott Stevens barking in everybody's face thing anymore as far as what the captain does behind the scenes. But, but having a strong captain can be an important thing for a team too. So you, know, you named the three guys that you mentioned. Uh, the Miller thing so fascinating because, I mean, obviously like there's been sort of that tenuous thing that's been happening with him with regard to does he move, does he stay, that whole thing. And then there's always this chatter about, you know, his demeanor off the ice and things of that nature. Um, if you wanted to talk about like where the team is going, you'd, you'd probably give it to Quinn. Um, but is Quinn ready for that level of responsibility on a team that still has a chair of veterans? Let's marry the two things we were just talking about. How long is it before Connor Bernard is the captain in Chicago? They are one of the 10 teams in the NHL right now without a captain. And I went back and looked, and it took all of one season, and it was really a half a season, one season in the NHL for Connor McDavid to be named the uh, captain of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, and, and, and that was, again, like that was one of those things where it just seemed like the natural thing to do. In, in Pittsburgh, it was a natural thing to do with Sid. And in Chicago, you know, back when Taves was young, it seemed like the natural thing to do there, too. When he, I mean, he, I think at the time was the youngest captain. Uh, it probably won't take long. I mean, there's going to be some other veterans on this team, but I don't know if necessarily you want to throw the C on Nick Foligno, right? Like, you may as well just keep it vacant. You might as well just have a combination of veterans and younger players as your leadership group. And then kind of go forward from there. Do you think Rick Tockett is the right guy in Vancouver? Because a lot of faith is being put in his ability to pull this team together and fix some of their problems. Um, I've, I've run hot and cold on Tockett as a head coach. Like I, I, I think that he's got a real good demeanor. I think he's really good with players. I think that players like him. I, I think he's a guy, just by his comportment, that can demand accountability and, and get it. Um, but from a systems standpoint, from a functionality standpoint, I always found his time in, in uh, Arizona to be a little bit lacking, and especially insofar as offensive output. And that, that was the one thing that kind of gave me pause um, for him as a head coach in 2023 is like we are clearly in an offensive league. We're clearly in, in, a, in a phase where, you know, average goal scoring continues to climb. You have to be able to team that, that, be a team that scores uh, a lot uh, in order to really compete in this league. And, and his teams in, in Arizona – never really blew me away their shooting percentage was always very mid or or in the bottom of the of the the standings and so the question is is that a personnel issue i mean he didn't coach really great teams there he clearly got better talent in vancouver or is it a systems issue where whatever he's kind of preaching does not necessarily lend itself to 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 solid offensive output and i guess will remain that remains to be seen but from a from like a personality standpoint i mean i I think he's a good guy to kind of come in and, and steady a ship what do you think about the notion that Vancouver's entering another season and like goal number one is not to be out of the playoffs after their first 10 games like they have the last two years? It's a lot of pressure <laughs> to put on a team, but I guess we're going to find out what these guys are made of. Yeah. It's like it's like they're it's like the reverse Buffalo. It's like your goal is to still be in the playoffs a month into the season after, you know, starting off 10 and 0. Like is what Buffalo. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Buffalo, yeah, the reverse Buffalo. Exactly. Well, the we've we've Buffalo, com- yeah. we've compared it to like the beginning of the season for the Canucks is like the first round for the Leafs. 
Like it's, it's <laughs> there's that much. There is like it's crazy how much we're we're talking about it. And what I did like from talking, he just had a Q and A. He's like, yeah, like don't run away from it. You know, don't don't try and go through all these things to take the pressure off. Just admit there's pressure and get prepared and see how you do. Because I think when yeah. you deny the pressure, sometimes you start hiding a bit. Yeah, it's, it's a real rah-rah, meet-the-challenge kind of thing, and I wouldn't expect anything else from him. But, um, no, I, 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 yeah, they clearly need a good start. I mean, the, the conference itself is, is a little herky-jerky. I'm, I'm interested to see exactly how some teams end up performing that maybe have new coaches or maybe have uh, new configurations of talent. I mean, you know, you have teams like Calgary and, and Nashville, for example, in, in the conference that I – I simply don't have a handle on right now <laughs> insofar as like what they're going to end up being. And, mm-hmm. you know, the good thing for Vancouver is they clearly have some pieces in place that they can get a little more health this year. Um, there's no reason why they, they, they should be able to contend with Pacific, but um, it's, it's an interesting conference. And I, I haven't really like drilled down too deep. We're still, I, you know, the, the players tour media tour is coming up uh, I think a week from next Tuesday. And then right after that is when I flip the switch to start really looking at these teams. But back in the napkin, like you know, it's it's an interesting conference insofar as some teams a little are, are a little bit quote, more question marky, I think, than we've had in the past. Uh, Wish before we let you go, I did want to ask about the Professional Women's Hockey League. Uh, a big reveal was this week. We're actually going to have Brian Burke on the show tomorrow, who was named the PWHL Players Association's yeah. executive director. Um, the question that I've got, and I'll ask you, I'll probably ask Berkey tomorrow as well. What do you know or what have you heard about potential affiliation with the National Hockey League? Because the model really in North American sports has been what the WNBA had with the NBA. Uh, is it too early to start speculating on those talks or is that something that is going to be at the forefront of discussions <clears throat> moving forward? Well, they're involved. I mean, like it's not a formal thing. It's not the WNHL, right? But like Stan Kasdan, the one of the board members in the, you know, who's like running the Dodgers basically said that the NHL is in a, a consulting advisory capacity with this league, which I think is actually a step further than the NHL has done with these three previous pro women's leagues. And, you know, Gary Bettman has said for years, quite infamously, that the league's not going to get involved with a women's league if there's two competing pro leagues. Now there's only one league. And, and so you'd imagine the NHL would be a league of their word and get more involved. From what I've been able to gather there, um, their work with the women's league so far has been kind of, Hey, maybe look at these markets. Hey, look, maybe look at these facilities, you know, trying to kind of shepherd them a little bit insofar as what's the best configuration of teams to launch strongly. And, and, you know, we'll see if it grows from there, but the, the other, the other, you know, partnership between this women's league and the NHL is going to be in them playing in some NHL arenas during the season. And, and, you know, one of the things they've talked about is that there's going to be 12 home games, not all 12 home games are going to be played in the same arena. And I think that's going to be a situation where they're going to be, you know, you're going to see Minnesota play where the wild play, you're going to probably see this New York team play some games and you know, Prudential center or, or more likely UBS on Long Island. Um, and then you're going to see them have a presence at big NHL events. I, I reported uh, the other day that, you know, there's, there's talk of a, maybe a USA Russia three on three game that would take place in Toronto outdoors uh, during all-star weekend. I heard that from multiple sources. So they, they're going to, you know, they're going to ride some NHL coattails on big events. They're going to get some some institutional help from the league. But it remains to be seen if, they're, if the NHL is going to step up and, and really, really partner with this league quite yet. 
Uh, good stuff, Greg. Thanks for doing this, bud. We appreciate it. Uh, I think we're going to circle back later on in the fall. So enjoy a few more weeks away from the Halford and Brough Show. We'll talk again Brilliant. soon. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. Care. See you, Wish. Yeah, uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Get your What We Learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We'll read them about 45 minutes from now. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Butus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll look into these uh, J's a little more with Caitlin McGrath. Coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.